Cool. What is up, Football Life? This is Football Life presents the Audible. We're back for another week. It is July 28th, Tuesday, 7 o'clock. I am your host, Randy Hammond. Joined by my co-host, as always, Matt Bushnell. Matt, I'm excited to be back with you for another week. How you doing, man? Yeah, doing pretty good, Randy. Um, training camp started yesterday. Hopefully, you know, we hear some good news about some of these teams. And, man, I am ready for football. I, I know we're still about a month and a half away, but I'm ready. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm excited that we got to watch some baseball over the weekend. And despite some uh, depressing baseball news as well, you know, we still got games going on. We still have sports going on. And I'm hoping football can happen as well. We're going to get into training camp in a little bit here. Uh, and all the other news coming around the league. And then eventually, which I'm super excited for, this is the penultimate week for our divisional series. I didn't mean to use a big word for you there, but that is one of my favorite words in the English language. Uh, it's AFC West week. This is the second. We only have two divisions left. Um, I'm really excited about this division. Uh, just, you know, give me your quick thoughts about the AFC West. It's balanced in the middle, but the Chiefs are just really, really good. I, I have a hard time seeing anyone – overstepping them with that roster is just too deep. Yes. Uh, the Super Bowl champs reside in this division and uh, they have some competition this year, I think for sure, but we will talk about them being the cream of the crop of that division and, you know, the entire sport. And we've talked a lot about the chiefs, but we'll do a little bit deeper of a dive on them in just a little bit. But um, I want to start about start with a uh, mega trade that happened in the NFL over the weekend. Um, and if you ask me, he's a top, the top safety in the league, if not a top two safety, wherever you want to put him. But we talked about it earlier in the offseason. He requested a trade. Joel Adams got his wish, finally traded. You predicted it on the Audible earlier this year to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, this happened Saturday mid-afternoon-ish, depending on your time zone. Um, but the Seahawks gave up a haul for this man. Uh, two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Bradley McDougal. Um, my first question for you, Matt, is, is, is that a little too much for a guy like Jamal Adams? No, I don't think so at all. That defense is pretty legit. I still think they miss a pass rusher to really put that defense in the top three. I mean, this is a top five defense right now when we take a look at it. I love a lot of their pieces. And then you take a look at the missing of the draft pick. So what did this team really need? I like their offensive line. They really shorted up. Russell Wilson kind of protects them by being able to move around the pocket and extend plays. One of the best pocket awareness quarterbacks in the NFL. I have a man crush on DK Metcalf. Absolutely love that human being. If you can call him a human being, he's more like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. But, man, and Tyler Lockett, in my opinion, is one of the top ten wide receivers in this league. Running backs, as you know, Randy, as you always state, you really don't need a great one to win in this league. So I, I don't see the loss of two first-round draft picks hurting this team. They do such a good job evaluating talent, probably the best talent-evaluated team out there. I just think it's a win-win for Seattle. Yeah, the word I use for running backs is interchangeable. I just don't think they're the end-all, be-all. They're not something that you need uh, in the mix of your championship recipe, uh, per se. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think that Seattle's a really weird team when it comes to the draft as well because they don't always make the decision that we all think they're going to make. They kind of think outside of the box. Pete Carroll has his own scouting way. Like, when he takes you know, uh, Bruce Irvin in the first round, everyone was kind of like, this was a weird pick, but it ended up being a good pick for them. Um, you know, and then he takes a guy, uh, 
you know, he takes a Rashard Penny in the first round, and it's like, why are you taking a running back in the first round? It didn't make any sense when you have Chris Carson and some other guys. But Seattle, I worry less about with the first-round picks because they're almost like the Patriots to me where they get value for guys later in the draft. Um, I'm not worried about them losing out on first-round picks. And Seattle, I think the world of, so they are going to be picking later in the first round. These are going to be picks 27 to 32. So at the end of the day, these are – borderline, you know, end of first round, second round talents that I think Seattle can make up for later in the first round. Um, I will say for the Jets uh, purposes here, it's good for the Jets because um, when you have a guy like Jamal Adams, who is completely outspoken against the head coach, the GM and the owner, and just saying he wants out, he's not going to play for them. And he doesn't even care about the contract extension at this point. It's hard to get a lot for a guy like that who's kind of causing issues. So the Jets get two first round picks, a third round pick and Bradley McDougal, I think this is a good move for the Jets as well. Let me hear your side of the – let me hear your Jets' point of view on this. My biggest issue with the Jets is this. I think that they are piling draft picks, and if they don't finish with the worst or second-to-worst or third-to-worst record, I, they're trading up. I, I love a lot of things that I saw in Sam Darnold pre-draft. I thought he needed a really strong coach, a really strong infrastructure, and quality players around him. Now, I know we could say that about a lot of quarterbacks, but Sam Darnold's talent is obvious. I mean, the kid can throw the football really well. He's good at certain aspects. I think he can get better at pocket awareness. His mechanics sometimes fails him. But what this Jets team has done to him is Chicago Bear-esque. And I mean that in the meanest possible way. You did nothing to help this quarterback. And not only that, but we can go back to Jamal Adams. You did nothing to help Jamal Adams either. So this team's been kind of screwing this up. I think if Joe Douglas would have just came on and said, Jamal, we love you as a player. We are just not sure if this is going to be a long-term fit for us. I think Jamal would have respected that. The toxicity would have went away right away if he would have said, hey, you know what, you can go ahead and seek a trade. Mm -hmm. But with this situation, Joe Douglas showed every sign of a rookie GM. It it was bad from the jump, and it's still bad today. What they have to do is they have to fire Gase after this season. I I don't think you go into next season with Adam Gase. I can almost guarantee they're probably not going into next season with Sam Darnold. I just don't see them getting better at that position because they didn't give a lot of help to him. I do see Sam Darnold as one of those guys. If, you know, a lot of Patriots fans are going to love this or hate me for this, but I I could see Sam Darnold ending up in new England. I mean, it's just such a really good fit after this year. I think Belichick can coach him up, take a lot of those errors out of his game. And, you know, the jets will be cursed again. I think the, Jacob in the comment section might try to jump through the computer and bite you uh, (laughs) after saying something like that. Um, But to me, this is just another, you know, dysfunctional jet situation where they can't make a player happy and keep the player there for their entire career. Um, You know, they couldn't even keep Darrell Rivas, who was the best corner of this, the 21st century, potentially the best corner ever on their team and make it work. Um, Jamal Adams at the same time, I want to be critical of him because he said he wanted to play on a winning team and he didn't think the jets were doing the right thing by that. I also think that that sort of thing takes time and they just hired a new GM and they do have a young quarterback and they do have a young defense. I think he was a big part of whatever success that they were going to have. He didn't really let that sort of develop. He only been in the league two years. Um, Given a chance, I think the lack of patience on his part uh, speaks out here. And I wouldn't be, he's not going to have those issues in Seattle because Seattle is ready to win now. 
They have uh, an established quarterback. They have an established head coach. They are going to win. They are going to be successful. They're going to be in the running for the division, and they're going to make the playoffs. Um, But the the Jamal Adams-Jets pairing uh, was almost doomed from the beginning here based on both of their personalities. (laughs) So uh, I feel for Jets fans, but at the same time, I'm happy for you because I think you did get enough back to, to at least be optimistic that you can build around what you have already. And I don't know how much you have already, but at least when you have draft capital, whether you use it to trade up, whether you use those picks in general, it's going to be good for your future, I think, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and to address some of Jacob's comments here, you, you have a nice front seven, but you're not winning anything. It, it's still the same story. You build up here, but you're a mess. You're a mess in the front office. You're a mess with the coaching staff. There's no consistency. And when I talk about build around Jamal Adams, I'm talking about organizationally. Jamal Adams is a building block, one of the top 20 players in this league. And you failed at every aspect of building around him. That, I mean, head coach and a lot of pieces. I love Greg Williams, but why is Adam Gase your head coach? You know, it's just a total failure. I, I hate what they've done. For the sake of moving on, I'll just say this. In a world where Bill O'Brien sent DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick and David Johnson and everything going on, the Jets got an absolute haul for Jamal Adams. So it's kind of nice to see the trade balance of the NFL kind of come back to center. For sure. I actually think this is a win-win for both teams because Seattle is going to love having Jamal Adams on that defense. Maybe they can start building the Legion of Boom as we once knew it. Uh, as they built around those secondary players and, and they were the anchor of that defense. Uh, and the Jets have a young team with a bright future and maybe they can start building around that that way. A uh, quick question from Fami in the comments section. Which trade was more ridiculous, Mac or Adams? Referring to Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears. I think that, you know, trading for a pass rusher at Khalil Mack's ability is warranted regardless of how much you gave up for him. So I'll say Jamal Adams just on that premise. Yeah, I mean, the Bears went to the playoffs, won their division after the Mac trade, and no one expected that. Mac changed the entire perception of it. Mm-hmm. With Adams going to the Seahawks, it takes them from a Super Bowl contender to a Super Bowl contender. So <laughs> Adams is kind of, you know, more ridiculous on that front. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. All right. So uh, today was the final day for players to report. Uh, training camp is basically all but official. Uh, all of the rookies and all of the uh, younger players on the rookie contracts have already reported. Today was the day for veteran players to report. Um, it is unlike any other training camp start of, <laughs> of the season I can ever remember because typically that comes with the Hall of Fame game and uh, preseason and typically like, just watching training camp live on NFL Network has these guys practicing as normal. Nothing's like that this year. Th- throw everything you thought you knew about the offseason process and throw it out the window. It is unlike anything we've seen before. Um, Roger Goodell officially announced that there would be no preseason games, which we already knew, but it's now official. Um, Matt, I'll just ask you a quick question here. Is your excitement still there on the day of the, the first start of the, the first day of uh, the start of preseason uh, training camp here, I should say? That's tough, Randy, because we saw a lot of players today come out and say that they're opting out. Mm-hmm. As a Bears fan, the most significant one to me is Eddie Goldman. This guy is a linchpin to their run defense. Without Eddie Goldman, it's a huge, massive hole on that defense. So as a fan of the Bears, it tempers my excitement for how good they can be because I think he's that important. 
the season as a whole, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. I think the owners would play no matter what, you know, push the season through because of the money. But, man, I'm starting to believe that there might be a real possibility that we don't have a season. So the training camp aspect kind of loses a little bit of that buzz. You know, you get geared up for the Hall of Fame game. It turns out to be kind of a dud as usual as, you know, you're watching a lot of scrubs. Mm -hmm. And then the second and third preseason games, kind of the same thing. And then, you know, you get to week four of the preseason. You get the three quarters from the starters for most teams. You get amped up. Then you got that dull. But this, you know, it's like going into a freezing ice-cold um ocean you know those polar bear guys that jump into the ocean during the winter it feels like that's what we're going to do with this nfl season we're just going to jump right in to the freezing lake yeah it's it's a good analogy because um you just see what happened with baseball over the weekend and the one team has an outbreak and the the league kind of uh progresses and moves forward with uh, a different alternate schedule and they're trying to make it work but there is this this fog around it where it's just you feel like the inevitable is coming and that's just a cancellation or a suspension of the season altogether and to me if that's happening in baseball how is it going to not happen in football especially when you're you know colliding with each other sweating on each other we've talked about the the logic of this all off season so that is a concern for me Um, but today also starts the coronavirus testing and virtual meetings for all these teams uh, and they will move forward with the with testing and scheduling based on the results of those. Um, but as you mentioned, we've had several uh, players opt out today, which would be the day that they're supposed to uh, clock in for duty. This is supposed to be them checking in and doing um, the, what they do at the beginning of training camp. Um, but we've had several names, and I'm not going to list them all because we'd be here all day. I just want to point out that six Patriots now have opted out. Uh, and we have, we're talking about Dante Hightower. We're talking about Brandon Bolden. Uh, we're talking Patrick Chung. And, you know, we have – the list goes on and on with other teams and other kind of players. But at the end of the day, I don't fault any of these guys for deciding that their health isn't worth playing this season. And I won't be surprised when we see more names of people coming out saying that this isn't worth it for them. Um, I don't know what the biggest name or what it's going to take for a season to get canceled. But, you know, we're definitely not – we're far from over from this. Right, Matt? Oh, yeah. I, I – and without a vaccine, I don't really see, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel. Obviously, I think we could count on 2021 being more realistic for a full season and get back to mm-hmm. normalcy, which, I mean, we, we want anyway. We want that normalcy, and I think we're all thriving for that. So I think in order to see a season be in real jeopardy, we would have to see the quarterbacks start opting out. Once you start seeing quarterbacks opt out, this turns into the XFL. You're right. I mean, nobody's going to sign up to watch, you know, leagues like the XFL or the AAF, which totally they both of them just failed because they lacked that star power, star power. Like it was obviously still football, but players at the end of the day make people want to watch football. I mean, they play at the highest level. The name on the back of the jersey matters. Um, So you're right. I think that once you see like a high profile quarterback opt out is when you're going to see these uh, see the season, I think, you know, start to be in jeopardy. And I hope the NFL has a backup plan in place and has some sort of alternate schedule in place. Um, I spoke about it in the group, but um, I would love to see some sort of bubble situation in the NFL. I know it's harder because the NBA is smaller and has smaller teams, like smaller rosters. Uh, And hockey is the same thing that they don't have their, every team there. And it is 
you know, in Canada, the whole different country. So that helps, I think, too. The NFL PA already agreed to not do a bubble. Um, I would like to see maybe them kind of reconsider, maybe do a regional bubble type situation. And maybe if they have to tweak the schedule to only play those teams in that region, and then you move on from there. A lot smarter people than I make these schedules and figure these things out. But would that be something that interests you? If it meant players playing and doing it safely, yeah. I, I would take football above all else at this point. You know, just mm-hmm. g- give me some football. And if that means I have to make concessions as a fan, if I don't get to see, you know, Packers – I'm sorry. I, we'll see Packers-Bears, of course. That, that, that will happen because mm-hmm. they're so close. But, you know, Cowboys and Giants, I would imagine that one would bite the dust. I don't see that travel happening. No chance. Um, yeah. I mean – I wouldn't be opposed to this. And someone floated out this idea, you know, do an eight game season, which is doable with locations and regionality with teams. And then after that eight teams, you start to play after that eight games, you start the playoffs, you know? Yeah. And I'm okay with that. You know, you can increase the playoffs to, what is it now? 14 teams, bump it up to 16. You know, that's half the league. And I, I think you'd get a really good playoff. You may not, you know, the sense of urgency would be immense, but I, I think it could work. Yeah, and uh, I think that given the circumstances, you're seeing baseball kind of fly by the seat of their pants with the scheduling here. Like, it's a 60-game season. Is someone really going to be upset if the Marlins play 53 games instead of 60? I mean, it's, it's really the difference there. So, uh, eight games, if you got eight games, I'll take eight games over none. <laughs> so, if they, if they work out a plan that works for that, I'm not going to say that there's an asterisk with any championship situation. It's the NFL at the end of the day. You still got to win those games. You still have to win in the playoffs and you still have to win the Super Bowl. Uh, it's not 16. It's not spread out, but you know, it's still the same concept, just cut in half. So I'm not that concerned about the morality of it um, or the legitimacy of it. I should say uh, Matthew Nyland in the comments said that, you know, we're not discussing names specifically, but Michael Pierce for the Vikings also opted out, uh, which is a big blow for that front line. And he would be next. He would be next to Linval Joseph. Uh, big for the run defense. You're going to see a lot of guys who are important to a lot of teams opt out. And at the end of the day, I have a hard time blaming them. You know, there are more important things in football, which is hard for us to say. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the health of everyone is more important. And to get to a, 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 a full and normal 2021, I would take if it meant sacrificing this year at this point. Um, so on top of people opting out, this is the time of the year where the NFL players release that their top 100 list. And I'm not going to go into specifics and name names or anything like that, but this is a fun thing that they have on NFL Network where the players decide who the top, the best 100 players are. Um, and people get mad every year, and it's amazing. And this year, uh, a player we're going to talk about in this division this week, Keenan Allen, got real mad because he came in, and I want to get it exactly, but I believe it was in the 80s. Um, I think 77. He, 77, okay. And he called out, um, well, first he said he was the best receiver in the AFC West, which also includes Tyreek Hill and Cortland Sutton and other guys. But then he called out uh, Mike Evans and he called out Chris Godwin and Tyreek Hill. And he said, I'm better than all you guys who are higher than me on this list. I wish we had a segment that was like, know your role type situation, but Keenan Allen's going to take a back seat here, doesn't he? <laughs> it's really something that <sighs> – I love Keenan Allen. I, I definitely think he's a really good NFL football player. And 77 seems right to me, if not a little bit lower. I don't have an issue with that ranking. He's not 
Chris Godwin had a breakout season last year, just really showed how good he is. Just for perspective, I think Chris Godwin had over 110 targets. He had a 1.2 drop percentage. That means if that ball was coming his way, he was catching it. Keenan Allen, I believe, led the league in targets at 154. Just off the top of my head, I'm not sure if that's correct. But he had a 4.7 drop percentage. So Keenan Allen doesn't have the surest hands in the NFL. He was number 47th overall on drop percentage for wide receivers. So it's one of those things where I look at it, and then I take a look at the other guys. It's great that you're really, really good at route running. And I didn't break down a lot of Keenan Allen tape. You know, there was other things that we had to look at. And I did not expect it for the segment because he came out with that, I think, yesterday. And to me personally, he's a really good player. I think he slots in between 11 and 16 for wide receivers overall in the league. And there's nothing to be ashamed about that. But there's guys off the top of my head that are just flat out better. You know, we discussed Allen Robinson a little bit, Randy, who I think we both really like. That he was, what, 91, 92-ish? He was 92. And if anyone's going to be angry, I think it should be Allen Robinson because he's the first receiver, uh, the last receiver ranked in the top 100. And to me, that guy is (laughs) better than a lot of the guys listed, but you don't hear enough about him because of the poor quarterback play. Uh, Unfortunately, Allen Robinson has been plagued by that his entire career. Um, so Keenan Allen to me, like I love Keenan Allen as a as a wide receiver. Like you know, just look at his body of work. He's been a, a reliable target for Philip Rivers for a long time now. Well, Philip Rivers is gone, but he still has a number one receiver for the Chargers, and that's fine. But I would just not be calling out Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Tyree Kill. A lot of people is like, yeah, he's really fast, and that's about it. The guy makes plays that a lot of other receivers don't make, uh, and certainly Keenan Allen does not make. So I wouldn't you know, be calling out a guy like that who just, you know, helped the Chiefs break a 50-year Super Bowl drought. So maybe help the Chargers make it pass, make it to the Final Four, even, and then we can talk. Yeah, and it wasn't like Keenan Allen didn't have a great quarterback when, you know, he first came in the league. I mean, Phillip Rivers was one of the top five quarterbacks in this league for a long time, even before yeah. Keenan Allen got in this league. But Keenan Allen hasn't struggled with poor quarterback play like some of these guys on this list. I mean, Tyree Kill had Alex Smith, and I, I don't even know the dude before him. Um, six, eight in my mind. It may have been Alex Smith his entire career. And obviously, Alex Smith's strength is not the deep ball. So with Patrick Mahomes, we finally got to see how good Tyree Kill really was just outside from being a returner. So the Tyree Kill things is completely ridiculous. And I love Cortland Sutton. And that's just two guys in the AFC West. And then we talked yeah. about Allen Robinson, one guy in the NFC North. And I think Devontae Adams, you know, we go with the Packers. I would take Devontae Adams before I would take Keenan Allen. Yeah, there's, there's so many guys. Yeah, I mean, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins are guys that come to mind. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr., despite having a few bad down years, I would take him over Keenan Allen. Um, but, I mean, I'm not saying I don't like Keenan Allen as a football player. The NFL players aren't saying that they dislike Keenan Allen. He's number 77 on a top 100 list. Let's be honest. Like, come on. Hey, you're obviously uh, one of the best players in the world for a reason. Um, I just think it's kind of ridiculous. You're calling out guys who are probably better than you are. I mean, let's be real here. I mean, are you just trying to get your name in the news or what? Because, you know, if you're looking at it objectively, which obviously he's not, uh, those guys are better. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Alex Smith because that brings me to my last news point here before we get into the AFC West. Um, sports for me, and it has been my entire life, is all about inspiration, uh, about standing back up when you fall and you know, learning from your failures and 
to me, I don't think that you can get more of an inspirational story than Alex Smith right now because he was cleared by his doctor uh, and put on the pup list from the Washington football team, which is uh, pretty remarkable considering he hasn't played a game since November of 2018 where he broke his leg, he broke his tibia, he broke his tibia on the field. Uh, he ended up having 17 surgeries after the fact, almost had his leg amputated because of a sepsis issue. Um, I never thought I'd have this conversation that Alex Smith was cleared to play and could potentially be seeing the field this offseason or even this season. Um, but to me, uh, I can't feel anything other than inspired by Alex Smith's determination to make this happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alex Smith's situation right now? To me, it's worrisome in a couple of different directions. When you sustain an injury like that, his mobility is going to be decreased, and that's a large portion of his game, is being able to move around. And without preseason games and being eased into it, I wouldn't play this year if I were him. Um, I think the pup list is probably a good place for him to go where he can still practice and get a lot of that feeling back. To me, it's just too much too soon, Alex. Wait a year, see how you feel, because that leg injury is one of the most brutal things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, you see pictures of it. I mean, it, it looks like something out of an alien movie. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm just concerned. You know, fo- football's – we love football. Everyone in our groups love football. And, you know, we plan a large things around football. You know, sometimes we even plan our family life around football. But with Alex Smith, I don't know if it's worth it at this time. You know, you you got other things. He's a very charismatic individual. He's well-liked by everyone he's ever worked with. So there will always be a job for Alex Smith in this league. Patrick Mahomes loves him. Patrick Mahomes credits mm-hmm. him for a lot of his progressions. So I just mm-hmm. don't – I don't know if the risk is worth the reward. What's the best? He plays for Washington and what – Instead of one and fifteen, they're three and thirteen. I think a part of it is like he wants to honor the contract they gave him because he is uh, on on uh, on their payroll for twenty million dollars this year, whether he plays or not. I understand that, but this injury did totally this, this injury uh, retired Joe Theismann. If you remember, it was eerily similar to that uh, when that happened to Joe Theismann when Lawrence Taylor broke his leg and immediately called the the medics out and said, you know, this is, this is not good. Uh, it's very much similar where you have a three-time defense player of the year. I remember all of the correlations with JJ Watt and Lawrence Taylor and the Washington quarterback happening in Washington. I not worried about his ability because I don't trust that he'll ever be the same athletically or physically or anything like that. Uh, to me, his just, his, his determination, his work ethic to even try to do this is what insi- what is inspiring to me and that I appreciate because you see a lot of guys who would probably not even go there and just say, you know, I had a nice run, but he did not want to be defined by this. And that to me is what I appreciate uh, the most about this because football is obviously a violent uh, sport. I mean, it's, it's a collision sport and these things can happen all the time, but when you see a gruesome injury like that and you see his foot turned upside down and it just, it, like you said, looked like an alien. It was disgusting. Um, but I appreciate him not letting that define him uh, and him trying to come back. And at least now he can be on the field and he can be a mentor to Dwayne Haskins. Cause I don't necessarily believe he'll actually get any playing time this year. I know Ron Rivera said that he will have a chance at the job if he is physically cleared, which might not happen. If he, if he passes a physical, he, he might, he'll get a shot. 
I, I'm not convinced that will happen, but I appreciate Alex Smith and I'm, I'm very inspired by his journey throughout all of this because like I said, his career should be over and he might, he, he, in another universe, he doesn't have a leg. So uh, I, I, I look at Alex Smith and I say, you know, I, I just tip my cap to a guy like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's one of those situations where it's going to be a great story and you hope the best for him, but is this team worth coming back to? And I don't know if it is. And I love Rivera. I think Ron would protect him and be honest with him. I just hope that, you know, Alex is honest with himself. But I just I, – I would hate to see this go sideways. Yeah, I think that's fair to be cautious like that. And I understand that, you know, when you play football, anything could, total, anything could happen to you like that. And obviously it did happen to him. And the Redskins were like six and three when it happened. And of course it happened to them when it did. Um, but like I said, I just, when it, I, I will always think of Joe Theismann as the guy who got his career ended by Lawrence Taylor on that play. And Alex Smith now would be in that same vein for a lot of people. And I'm hoping that at least at the very least, he could be a representation of anyone who gets a serious injury that if you work hard enough, you can, come back and try to do something that you love. And I'm not saying he will play or anything like that, but at the very least he can inspire some people and say, I know it sucks when you get injured and it might feel like the end of the world, but if I can come back from this where the doctor literally told me I wasn't going to have a leg, then anyone can do anything here. All right. I appreciate you, Alex Smith, but now it's time for our division week. And I understand we are waiting for our guests to hop on here. Um, so we're just going to buy a few, uh, buy a second here, but uh, I'm super excited about this division, Matt. And like you said, it's super competitive in the middle. And I really love some of the, the young players in this division. And I obviously the best team in the sport and the Super Bowl champions are in this division. So uh, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't save this for the, for, le- for last considering they do have the Super Bowl champs, but really love a lot of the coaching, a lot of the players, um, give me one little thing that you're looking forward to besides the Chiefs in this division if you have something. I am very interested to see what Vic Fangio does in year well, year number two with the Broncos. I, I really think he's going to take that team to another level, and I think with the addition of Bradley Chubb coming back, it's going to help them a lot. I, and that's a perfect transition because our resident Denver Broncos fan is here, Matt Whalen. Uh, you know him from the lab over in Food Life, and he has made appearances in Baseball Life on Dog City. He's also an Angels fan. Matt, can you hear me, buddy? Well, we can hear him, but I'm not sure if he can hear us. No, I couldn't hear you guys. <laughs> Matt, uh, we're just giving a little Broncos preview here. I, you're our resident Denver Broncos fan. Uh, thank you so much for joining our show. How are you doing, man? Good, man. I'm doing good. How are you guys? Uh, doing better now that we're talking about this division and having you on the show. Uh, really appreciate you hopping on here. Uh, we're going to start with your Denver Broncos uh, in the division preview. And when I watched your Broncos on tape, the one thing that really stuck out to me and the guy who only played five games, but I couldn't help but to get a little excited about Drew Locke. Uh, uh, what is the, you know, the, the buzz around the Broncos? Is, is everyone kind of thinking that Drew Locke is the future over there? Yeah, they all think he is for sure. I know L.A. already said he's going to be the starting quarterback in 2020, so so they're they're going to do it. They're, and now he's got weapons like Jer- like Jerry Judy, and then he has Cortland Sutland. I mean, he's in good hands. 
for sure. I mean, he went four and one in five starts last year. He threw seven touchdowns, only three picks. Uh, and to me, like the team just felt rejuvenated uh, when he came in. Yeah. But, they, um, I, I mean, I think, I mean, despite the stats not being the greatest, I mean, they're still good. And he showed flashes of him being a franchise guy. Like I said, four, four and one in five games, the only loss came to the Chiefs who ended up winning the Super Bowl. Matt, uh, you probably watched a little bit more tape than I did. What did you see from Drew Locke? The three things that – well, I'll give three things that impressed me and two things that worry me with Drew Locke. Number one, I really like his progression reads. He goes through them pretty well. I was impressed by him being able to look at wide receiver one then transition to wide receiver two. A lot of rookie quarterbacks struggle with that process, especially coming from a spread offense where typically you have one target that you're looking at to throw the football to. Number two is his ability to manipulate the safeties. He will stare at a safety and then shift his vision to a wide receiver that he initially didn't have it on. So that's well advanced beyond his years. So I love that about Locke. The other thing is he's patient. And I think that's good and bad, but he waits for his guys to get, you know, make that break. He's not throwing it when he feels the slightest bit of pressure. So those are all things I like. The things that worry me about Drew Locke, his footwork is so damn sloppy. It's lazy feet. It's like he's wearing bricks at the bottom of his shoes. They drag. He's not picking them up. And that's a concern. From the second part that I worry about with Drew Locke is where he holds the ball when he's coming out, of, coming out from under center or taking the shotgun snap. Typically, you want to raise that ball up to your ear so you can get that quick release. Drew Brees is magnificent at it. That's why we see Drew Brees lead the league in accuracy so often because he's able to get rid of it once his wide receivers make that break. So just minor tweaks that Drew Locke can make to his game. If he does those things with the weapons he has, I still think they need another tight end. I'm not thrilled with the tight end position, and I'm not overly excited about what they have at running back. But Drew Locke can make a lot of a lot of those woes disappear. But we definitely need to see more. I, you know, love what I saw from Drew Locke from a, an arm talent standpoint, a mobility standpoint. Uh, he brought like this youthful enthusiasm that was just kind of the opposite of Joe Flacco at the beginning of the year for the Broncos. Um, and yeah, he is sloppy. He has accuracy issues, which really concern me, especially when he feels pressure. I don't think he's the most accurate thrower on the run, um, but these are all things that you can you know get better at as you, as you get more experience in the league. Um, what I think will help him. And I know this from experience watching the giants last year is that Pat Shermer is now their offensive coordinator. What Pat Shermer did for Daniel Jones I expect him to help Drew Locke with. I think he's a great play caller. I think he's really good with those details, uh, with footwork, uh, and with, you know, like you said, positioning of the ball, where he holds the ball. I think Pat Shermer's really good with quarterbacks like that. He did that with Case Keenan in Minnesota. He's just a smart quarterback and offensive guy. Uh, and that brings me that Drew Locke also has weapons galore here. Uh, Drew Locke has – uh, Cortland Sutton, he has Jerry Judy. They drafted another receiver, I believe, in the second or third round that they're super high on. Noah mm -hmm. Fant is an athletic tight end who I'm not super crazy about, but they seem to love him a lot. Melvin Gordon came over from the Chargers to be their number one, and they still have Philip Lindsay, who is the only undrafted rookie in the history of the NFL to rush for 1,000 yards in back-to-back -back seasons. There's yeah. a lot to like here about the Denver offense. Um, Matt, do you think Pat Shermer can kind of put this all together and the Broncos could be you know, a really good offense here? I think he can, and I think he can especially work with Locke 
and he's going to work with young Lindsay too. See, Pat Shermer is a great OC, but he's not a good head coach. <laughs> Correct. You know? that is, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and it's good that you hired him as, as an OC because he will yeah. do those things that you love, and he won't have to do those post-game press conferences that he's so bad at. <laughs> Don't worry about the defense that he's so bad at. Uh, yeah. McFangio can handle all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, um, we, we had to steal we had to steal Vic from the Bears. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I mean he deserved it. He was one of those guys. He really did. He really did. Yeah, and what I like about Vic is it's not overly complicated for his players. His players buy in that they love him defensively, and and I don't want to say that he knows his role, but he's accepting of what he is and who he is. Originally, I think they agreed to have Gary Kubiak, but Kubiak decided, you know, he didn't want to come back, and then he ends up in Minnesota. But with Pat Shermer, it really accentuates what Vic Fangio's best at, running a defense and controlling the tempo of a team. What really is going to be the ignition key for this Broncos offense, I do think it's going to be their offensive line and that tight end position. And I think Shermer does a good job of identifying weaknesses and hiding them from any team. He's going to run the ball. There's going to be a lot of play action involved. Melvin Gordon's a big addition. I don't know if it's the Melvin Gordon from two years ago or the Melvin Gordon we saw from last year, which he wasn't very good. That's a concern. Uh, Philip Lindsay, what I saw with him behind. (laughs) Philip Lindsay is one of those guys that I see. Waits for the hole, which is good, but if the hole is not there, he struggles to find a lane, and then he's just dancing around in the backfield. Sometimes you just need to – you don't see anything. One yard's better than a negative two-yard loss. Yeah. So th- that's something that Philip Lindsay can improve on, but as an undrafted free agent, you take the good with the bad. The other cause for concern with the Broncos, and this is the last one I have, I love their front seven but their secondary worries me. And Fangio has always been the benefactor of having really, really good players at all three levels. That front seven for Denver is absolutely monstrous, especially with the healthy Bradley Chubb. This team's going to wreak havoc. Is that going to be enough to hide the secondary? And, you know, we're going to find out, especially with Pat Mahomes. I think that the best thing for, uh, you know, a mediocre secondary is a great pass rush. And by all means that the Denver Broncos have that. Uh, they have had Von Miller for the last decade, who has been the best pass rusher in the league, who, you know, helped them win a Super Bowl. Um, totally lived up to that second overall pick you know, stature. Um, but now you add Jarrell Casey into the middle in between Von Miller and um, Bradley Chubb. I really love the front for the Denver Broncos. And like you said, on the backside, it's not the greatest. They did add A.J. Bouye to try to replace uh, Chris Harris, who is now gone. Um, but it's, it's, it's A.J. Bouye and a lot of kind of question marks here. A lot of question marks. Yeah. Um, Matt, I'm going to, you know, Matt Whalen here, you're the Broncos fan. I, I love the Jarrell Casey ad, uh, but is this front seven going to be good enough to help mask what the issues in the backside is going to be? I don't know. I don't, honestly can't tell you because the front seven is really good. It could be that good. But are they going to be, like, 2015 good? Yeah, that's hard. I mean, yeah. you, you have you have Miller, you have Chubb, and you have Casey, and then you have guys who have potential like Atachu, who I really like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, Mike Purcell, Kyle Pecco just opted out, so the depth there is gone. Um, Shelby Harris, okay, yeah, Todd Davis played well for you guys last year. But I don't even love your linebacking group that as much <laughs> either. Um, 
I don't know. I, there's question marks, but I think that the pass rush itself is capable of carrying the defense uh, and masking some of those issues at the back at the back end. Um, wow. Overall, I think their offense is good. Go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. No, no you're good. Go, go, go. I, I was going to say, like, I love the front seven. And I love the pass rush. And I, I think the offense has a ton of potential. Uh, obviously, the secondary has issues here. But before we make our team predictions, I just want to talk about the general manager, who is a Denver Broncos icon and legend by all, all means, uh, and John Elway. And I think that Drew Locke kind of has to work for him, or there's going to be serious question marks about his job going forward in my mind. Um, because if you take out Peyton Manning from the Broncos in the last decade, it's a lot of crap at the quarterback position. I believe Trevor Simeon is the only other quarterback they had that had a winning record. Um, mm. If you take out Locke and it was like 13 and 11. And other than that, it was a lot of junk. Um, you had Tim Tebow, you had Paxton Lynch, you had Brock Osweiler, uh, you had Case Keenum and Joe Flacco. Uh, a lot of trash. You're the Broncos fan. Yeah, you're the, you're the Broncos here, man here, Matt. Uh, you know, do you really trust Elway all that much? Or are you kind of – Not anymore. Like I did when he, you know, he drafted freaking Vonster, like to like second overall, and he created that monster defense. Like that's one of the best things he's done. But other than like on and like an offensive standpoint, and like especially a quarterback standpoint, a lot of Bronco fans already want his head, and they've wanted his head for like three or four years. So yeah, I think that's a lot really has to work out, and I'm excited for Lot. I like what he looks like. You know, he looks comfortable, but you know, like Matt said, his footwork worries me. Um, and stuff like that. But if he doesn't work out yet, he's got some he's got some question marks for sure. Bushnell, how much confidence do you have in John Elway as a GM? He's not one of the worst. He's not. So I, I have to look at the totality of it. He got Peyton Manning, which was a big coup. I mean, it, it wasn't a slam dunk. Arizona was very much involved in that. So the reason why he went to Denver was because of pay or the reason why Peyton Manning went to Denver was because of Elway. Elway. Yeah. He was but, a huge reason why he went to Denver. Exactly. I mean, you, you can't discount the things that he did. And like you said, Matt, building that defense, but he also got DeMarcus Ware, Wade Phillips, Kubiak, which not a lot of people were high on Kubiak after that Houston situation when yeah. he really never took him to the next level. So these are all things that Elway did. So, I don't want to say it's not fair, but it also is fair. I mean, he didn't draft Tim Tebow. That, that was all Josh McDaniels pushing his agenda. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't get rid of Jay Cutler. That was, once again, Josh McDaniels. So Elway really had to take a more front office type of role with the Broncos after that situation when McDaniels decimated that team. But we take a look at some of the playmakers he had. Emmanuel Sanders, that's on him. Julian Thomas, great offensive weapon as a tight end. Um, I'm thinking I'm forgetting the big body wide receiver and it's killing me. Oh, Demarius Thomas. Demarius Thomas. Thomas. Yep. I, I give Elway credit for that. There's a lot of things that Elway did that he doesn't get credit for. Um, God, I'm killing myself. Bears middle linebacker, Danny Trevathan. Another, he was undersized, but he could go sideline to sideline with the best of them. I mean, these are all things Elway did to help build this team, identifying talent, getting it done. I don't think what he's done is like a fireable thing. I get that you're in a down period, but that's the NFL. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a team pretty much to consistently compete. So you want a Hall of Fame quarterback to always hit on Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but it's not realistic. 
And that's totally fair. And when you win a Super Bowl, you have some leeway after that. Um, They're only a few years removed from that Super Bowl win over the Panthers. So maybe I am a little hard on Elway for sure. And he did build one of the best defenses you know, of the 21st century, one of the best defense, defensive runs that we've ever seen. You know, you think about in the 85 Bears, the 2000 Ravens, I think you have to put the 2015 Broncos on that list of, you know, one-year defenses that were incredible that led the team to a championship. Um, okay, so now that leads me to our overall team predictions for the Denver Broncos here. They went seven and nine last year. Block only played five games and he finished the year four and one for them. I'm very optimistic about them. I am unsure that their schedule is on me, but you know, just looking at it, I would say with a, you know, lock with the year two, Pat Shermer coming in and improving lock a little bit. I think this team's floor is 500. So I will just go with eight and eight for the Denver Broncos. Bushnell, you can go ahead. I like a lot of the things that they did. I believe in Vic Fangio. I think the pass rush is going to be enough to get it done. I think they go 10 and six. High on the Broncos. Matt Whalen, what's up, buddy? What's your record for uh, your Broncos? How optimistic? I'm right in the middle. I say nine and seven. All right. I mean, I think that we all love the, the idea of the Broncos in 2020, especially if Locke takes the next step. And I don't think there's any doubt that this team will give it other AFC issues, other AFC teams issues for sure. Um, but, you know, this is a competitive division, and that leads me to the next point where the Los Angeles Chargers uh, come in here. And I think this might not be the most competitive team in the division because uh, for the first time in 16 years, they have a new quarterback, or 14 years if you want to say that the first two weren't Rivers. Um, but Phil Rivers is gone. He's in Indianapolis. And now for the first time in a long time, the Chargers have not that consistency and that reliability of quarterback, regardless of my feelings about Philip Rivers as the player there's value to having the franchise guy who's in there and out there every single week. So right now on the depth chart for the Chargers, they have Tyrod Taylor and all my Buffalo Bills fans out there know, like feel a certain type of way about Tyrod Taylor, but it certainly feels like a situation Tyrod Taylor was in just two years ago with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. Uh, Waylon, do you, you get that same kind of vibe? And I want to ask you how long before Justin Herbert starts for the Chargers? How long until he starts for the Chargers? Uh, yeah. I said game four. Week four, okay. That would be the identical situation of the Cleveland Browns uh, when <laughs> yeah. Baker came in <laughs> for Tyrod. Uh, Matt, do you think Tyrod starts at all? Mm, I don't know. No. Maybe. Bushnell, what about you, man? He's the, he's the guy they just drafted, right, Tyrod? No, uh, Justin, Justin Herbert is the guy. Herbert was, yeah. Yeah. yeah if, if I'm taking a look at this objectively – I don't know why you would want to throw Justin Herbert in there without any preseason games to kind of evaluate where he's at reading defenses and how far advanced. I didn't love Herbert coming out of college. I think there's a lot of things in his game that he has to drastically improve on. And I'm not a big fan of Oregon quarterbacks, but I will say this. I have given up looking at quarterbacks and be like, Oh, this guy's going to be great coming out of college. Or, you know, and I'm just not going to do it anymore. I, I, I'm done with it. I'm going to give Herbert a fair shake. Let's see what he does in the NFL. But I just – week 10 at the earliest. If wow. – Anthony Lynn, if Anthony Lynn's a responsible head coach and if he has that job security with the L.A. Chargers, he would wait till week 10 or until he feels comfortable. But throw, asking Herbert to go out there week one, week two, week three without a preseason, that's a monumental task. I, I just think that's a recipe for disaster. 
the preseason's an interesting point because that's totally where you can get a tape on some live game experience and see how comfortable they are against certain defenses and, uh, and the speed of the game, especially. I think that's what most people don't realize, the, the difference between the speed. Um, but the Chargers team is not in a situation where they're going to be competitive right away. I think when you draft a young quarterback that high in the first round, you have to start him as soon as possible. Uh, you you see, saw Kyler Murray start week one last year for the Cardinals. Uh, you saw Daniel Jones jump in and start week three for the Giants. And Dwayne Haskins was in there for the Redskins, I think, by week five. I mean, you cannot waste too much time on letting those guys be the backup quarterback. The live game experience, you cannot pinpoint the value of what that is for a young quarterback. Like Vince talked about a couple weeks ago on the NFC's preview with Daniel Jones, when you have a rookie, quarter, rookie quarterback, you need them to take certain progressions uh, in that first year. And if you don't but, start the guy enough – I'm sorry? I was going to say, but to counter that argument, we have the best quarterback in the NFL who didn't play at all year one until week 17. I will say that the difference between that is, is that the Chiefs were already a team that was going to win the division and make the playoffs. Um, I don't think that that's a situation that that's going to happen for the Chargers. The Chiefs were already a team that made the playoffs and were a talented enough team to make a run. When you draft a quarterback in that situation, they have time to sit behind an Alex Smith and learn. I don't think the Chargers are going to make any sort of playoff run or have any sort of success. So why not have a guy go in there and fail a bunch and learn from those failures? Um, how often, like Jared Goff got thrown in there with the Rams with Jeff Fisher and got absolutely obliterated that first year and sucked. And then when Sean McVay comes in, he took leaps and bounds and got so much better that year too. And I think a lot of that was because he bounced back from his failure and like learned how to do things that he wouldn't have known if he didn't have that in-game experience. I understand the Patrick Mahomes argument, but I think the main difference is that the Chiefs were already a contender with Alex Smith. So there was no rush to get him in there. I think that is the main difference here. Uh, I mean, you, I, to me, I think that's the, the main difference with a lot of these situations, even with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. The Packers were already a contending team with Brett Favre, so Aaron Rodgers could sit behind him. And now with the Packers situation, when they draft – a quarterback behind Aaron Rodgers, they're still a contending team with Aaron Rodgers. That guy doesn't need to be forced in there right away to get reps. I would disagree on a couple of things because we've seen too many quarterbacks fail that started off as a rookie. I think it's one of those things where, one, you, you have to know the guy's mentality. You don't want to break your quarterback mentally because once you break that quarterback mentally, you wasted a first-round pick and a pretty high one at that because well, Herbert was drafted sixth overall or seventh. Mm -hmm. I can't remember where he's drafted at, but I mean – I don't know Herbert's mentality, but you have to be very conscientious of how this quarterback responds faced with diversity. He's got Keenan Allen. He's got Mike Williams. He's got Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry. So there's weapons there that could help him succeed. I don't think there's any disputing that, but why did Phillip Rivers fail? Was it all the failure on Phillip Rivers last year? I don't necessarily think so. I think there's other parts to this that caused the Chargers to be this bad. I don't know if Mike Williams and Ken Allen are those guys, you know, they catch a lot of balls, but they're behind in a lot of games. Mm -hmm. I just think you have to be very careful when you start deciding, all right, this is when we're going to you. I, I go to the Trubisky Deshaun Watson argument. I mean, both of those guys had an entire preseason to ramp up and they still sat weeks one through four ish. I want to say, I think Mitch started first in week four and then Watson came in on a Sunday night game or a Monday nighter. I can't remember which one it was, but um, he came in and lit it up. So I, I think it's just being conscientious of where your quarterback's at. 
I mean, look, if you're if your quarterback's going to get broken mentally like that in the first season, maybe you should have reconsidered drafting him. I think you probably should have tried to figure that out beforehand. Uh, but I mean, the wear and tear of the NFL is something that you can't anticipate for uh, as much as you would think. So I understand that sort of, but I, I just think that there's real value in those reps. Uh, I just want to look at the Chargers schedule here to see if it's a, you know, a, a tough one at the beginning, because if it is tough at the beginning, I can see Tyrod getting thrown out there for those games. Because um, teams think about this for sure. Uh, let's see, they're <laughs> at Bengals week one, then they are uh the, the home against the Chiefs, home against the Panthers, and then at the Bucks, and then at the Saints. <laughs> so maybe that first month or so, maybe he starts week six uh against the Jets, the home against the Jets. Um maybe you let Tyrod play those tough games at the beginning of the year until Herbert's ready and then you throw him in there against New York. Um I just feel like your best bet here when you're not going to compete is to get as many reps out of that young quarterback as possible. And, I mean, if he can't handle it, then you have other issues on, on top of that. So that's just how I feel about that. I mean, I think the thing that you have to look at here, Randy, is that this year is more unique than any other year before. I think you start him off week one, never seeing what an NFL defense is on the game. I mean, you can practice it. You can look at tape. But until you actually go against it in the speed, I mean, that first game is going to be disastrous for Justin Herbert. If he starts week one against even the Bengals, that's going to be bad. The Bucks defense is great. I think if you can ease him into game action, whether it's a blowout or, you know, obviously I think you ramp it up as it gets closer. If it was preseason, I'd be more comfortable with it. I'm with you. I think the reps are important. But yeah, I just think the mental aspect of quarterbacks is so fragile to a lot of these guys. Because, I mean, we're all egotistical, but quarterbacks are egotistical to the 100th degree. And it can be broken. Even major league pitchers get the yips. So I'm just saying, I'm not a huge Herbert fan. I think there's holes to his game. He will get thoroughly embarrassed if he gets thrown out there in the first four weeks. Yeah, I think you know, he will get you know humbled a little bit. I think that happens to every rookie quarterback to a certain extent. Um, but at the end of the day, I still think they should get thrown out there. But uh, the Chargers are going to struggle this year, I feel like, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But I do think they have a ton of potential on the defensive side of the ball. I just want to touch on a little bit of the players that they have there. Um, and I think they put together a really good roster on this side. And it's Joey Bosa, it's Justin Jones, it's Limbaugh Joseph, Melvin Ingram. Uh, they drafted Kenneth Murray in the first round, who I really like. They took Chris Harris from your Broncos, Waylon. Um, and they have Casey Hayward on the other side. Yeah, and they have Casey Hayward on the other side of him and Derwin James, who is a really good safety in his own right when he's healthy. Um, when you play the team like the Chargers with this defense, you know, what are your thoughts going into that sort of game, Waylon? Oh, my Chargers into the defense? You know, when you when you're when you're playing the when you're the Broncos and you're playing the Chargers, you know, are you you know afraid of them defensively? Eh, maybe. I don't think so. Well, I would be well, I think you have to be with Bosa up there, you know. Right. And then you have Chris Harris that they stole from us. He's he's a pretty good freaking quarterback. I mean, mm-hmm. so you got to be somewhat afraid. They've always given us fits every time we freaking play them too. We all they always usually, we only usually win because uh, Phil screws it up in the fourth quarter. <laughs> hey, uh, you don't got to convince me. I understand that. Uh, Bushnell, when you look at this uh, Chargers defensive roster, you know, is there any room for optimism? You think they could be top five, top ten? 
I think more top 10 than top five. I think once you start talking top five defenses, that's, I mean, that's elite territory right there. And I think there are better yeah. defenses out there. Um, it's, it's a good team. It's a young team. You just really have to wonder, do they have what it takes to get over that hump? You know, two years ago, they were what, 12 and four, you know, right, right, right on the heels of those Kansas city chiefs that lost to the Patriots in the AFC title game. Nope. There are things that I expect out of this team. I think it's going to be more competitive than it was last year. So I'm a little more bearish on the Chargers. I think they they will create problems for everyone they face. I just love their de- I just love that defensive core that they have there. And if they're healthy, they are going to cause issues for teams. I love the the Bosa Ingram pass rush duo on the outside. Uh, those guys always make plays and Bosa, I mean, all the Bosa's are talented. So um, they picked him third overall. I think he's lived up to the hype there. Um, but overall, I think we're, we have this feeling that this team's going to struggle. I think they might be a little competitive here and there, but overall, I think this team might be destined for a fourth place finish. Once again, Waylon, I want to get your official team prediction for the Los Angeles Chargers. Six and 10. Six and 10. I mean, for a fourth place team, that's still pretty respectable. If you ask me, uh, Bushnell, what about you? I think it's six and ten as well. I think as Herbert gets more game action, this team gets better. But that quarterback position's going to hurt them earlier on in the year. So I say a rough start, but they look strong towards the end. So six and ten, definitely. I don't know how many times we've all had the same prediction for something, but I had six and ten written down as well. <laughs> uh, I really, I really want Herbert to play all year and see what he does and see if he can progress as the year goes on. Um, but yeah, six and ten. I think they're going to end up being the fourth place team in this division. Which leads me to now to the team that I think was super scrappy last year. And you think of the name Raiders and you just think of uh, dysfunction and unorganized, unorganized and just kind of a mess. But honestly, they're way more competitive than people realized last year. And I want you to know they're no longer the Oakland Raiders. They are now the Las Vegas Raiders. And they are gone. No more California. They are now residents of Nevada, um, which uh, I wanted to first talk about. Here. What's that, Waylon? Get those gangsters out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people in California are happy that the Raiders are now gone, uh, which wouldn't be surprising me if they're back within the next 10 years. Every time they leave, they make their way back. Um, but this team is so much of, built on the vision of John Gruden and Mike Mayock, and I was so critical of those signings uh, a couple years back. But it turns out it seems like those guys kind of know what they're doing a little bit here. Um, Bush, I want to start with you. You know, watching their tape, they don't have the greatest roster ever, but they're pretty competitive overall. I think they're coached better than a lot of people give them credit for. Uh, Gruden's – he's hard on quarterbacks, and it shows with Carr. I, I think you can see Carr – and I, when I talk about mentally fragile quarterbacks, Garrett Carr is one of the few that come to my mind right away. Um, I, I think Carr can be easily broken, but – they lack some talent at wide receiver. Offensively, I love Josh Jacobs. Their offensive line is built to ground and pound. But I also think, you know, they wore down at the end of the year. I'm not sure if this team was built to sustain that type of play. And then you take a look at their defense. It's good, not great. You know, they traded Mack, and they're trying to find that pass rusher that can replicate his production. I just don't – I don't know about the Raiders. It's one of those teams that I think – there's too much variance in how good or how bad they can be. So I, it's kind of one of those teams I stay away from. Waylon, when you look at the Raiders, uh, you know, for so long, they're just kind of a, a joke of a team that we all can make fun of, but 
it seems like to me they've turned that corner. How seriously do you take the Raiders as a Broncos fan? I mean, right now, like, not that seriously, but more seriously than I used to because, like you said, they used to be the laughing stock of the league at one point. You know, they have yeah. guys like Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr. He's a decent quarterback. And then they have the tight end, who was it, Jared Cook? Well, last year it was the Waller the Baller. Darren Waller really had a breakout year for them. Last yeah. Year. So you know, I'm not I'm I'm not worried about them this year, but I you know I I will be in the future for sure. I think they're they're on the right path to get there and become like more competitive. But anybody being competitive versus the Chiefs in the next fucking two two to three years is it's, it's going to be a hard road in this AFC West. <laughs> yeah, no no doubt about that for sure. But uh, when I, admittedly I was so critical of the Gruden Mayock hires, I I understand that Mayock being a former draft expert understands how the process works and is as a scout in that aspect but I did not know if that sort of media credential trend would translate into being an actual GM and you know they've made some questionable decisions but it seems like at least the Gruden side of things has worked out John Gruden has proven to me at least he can still coach football games and he can still get his team ready to play and that you know it's not not every coach is good at that so he's very fiery. He's still very passionate about the game, and I give him a lot of credit for that because I don't necessarily think this is the most talented roster ever, but those guys showed up and they were competitive every week, uh, minus a few games against the Chiefs. But, you know, at this point, I'm willing to throw out any game against the Chiefs. Uh, if you're not competitive, I understand. But, you know, I, they've had some questionable drafts, um, and they had a lot of picks in that time. I believe they've had five picks in the last – five first-round picks in the last two years. Um, in which they've taken guys um, like Josh Jacobs, Henry Ruggs III. Uh, Cleland Farrell was supposed to be the guy that they took to replace Khalil Mack. Um, I, it, that just blew my mind. I cannot believe they did that. And then they picked a corner, which I believe is uh, LaMarcus – no, not LaMarcus Joyner. I can't, his name is escaping me, but Damon Arnett, I think it was, a guy who wasn't even on the first round of anyone's boards, and they picked him like 19th overall. Kind of questionable decision, if you ask me. Um, but they also get guys later in the draft, uh, like Max Crosby, who <laughs> had a case for Defensive Player of the Year last year, who was really good at getting pressure. Um, and, you know, it, Jonathan Abram was a good first-round pick that they had, and he was a later first-round pick. And Josh Jacobs, despite my lack of uh, loving first-round running backs, you know, had a 1,000 yards rushing and was a playmaker for this team. It did not have a lot of playmakers. Um, but as far as decision-making goes, it's almost like a Seahawks unconventional type thing for me um matt i just want to you know get your thoughts on mike mayock as the general manager as a whole and you know gruden and their thought process on player development i'll field that one so i like mayock in his analysis and breaking down tape i think he's one of the better ones out there i have an issue with drafting though because when you draft guys out of position well out of order on your draft board a lot of the great drafters manipulate the draft and by manipulating the draft, you know exactly where you need to be at when you need to be at that position to get the guys that you want. That's, I think one of the biggest criticisms I had with the giants for taking Daniel Jones. I didn't feel like you needed to take him at six. Now with that, you also need to have a partner to trade back. I like running backs. I have no issue drafting them 20 through 32. I think that's perfectly fine, especially when you got a guy like Josh Jacobs who kind of fits the identity of what team you want to become. So I like Jacobs a lot for this Oakland team. 
I think they reach too many times. I don't hate the Henry Ruggs III pick. I think that does help them eventually. But it just kind of feels like, are you here now? Or are you trying to be here three years from now? And if you're trying to be here from three years from now, what are you doing for Derek Carr? Yeah, at that point, there is no Derek Carr in the picture here. And that might be uh, where they're headed here. But, Waylon, do you have a, a good vibe at all from the Raiders when they, when they on draft day or on draft weekend? Do you, you kind of have a good idea of any sort of identity that they're going for at all? No, not really. I only pay attention usually, like, during draft days to my team and what they're trying to go to and their rumors. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a casual fan. I'm not a huge, like, diehard football fan like you and Bushnell over here. <laughs> no, give yourself some credit. You love your Denver Broncos. Um, I do. But, but that's okay. Um, to me, that they totally wanted to change the culture. They picked Cleveland Farrell because he was the guy with the high character and – wasn't going to get in trouble like uh, Raiders of old. And, uh, you know, I don't know what Khalil Mack ever did to warrant that sort of reputation, but to me they just sacrificed Khalil Mack's talent uh, and drafted that guy fourth overall for what exactly? I don't really know. Um, but the, uh, if nothing else, he's John Gruden's guy. I haven't seen anything from Pharrell at this point to prove that he was worth that fourth round pick. I mean, I, the fourth overall pick, I think Josh Allen was a better option and he's played better for the Jaguars and, uh, Cleveland Farrell has for them. Henry Ruggs was the third best wide receiver on the board when they could have taken Jerry Judy, who was better on his own team, uh, and they could have taken CeeDee Lamb, and they just decided they were going to pick Henry Ruggs the third. And that is, of course, like the most Raiders decision ever to me, that they are going to pick the speed guy. It's almost like the Bengals picking John Ross a few years back because he ran the fastest 40. I understand speed's important, but, you know, talent uh, sometimes outweighs everything. Um, so I'm worried about – you know, their decision-making might bite them in the ass going forward. And that leads me to your point, Matt. If this is a three-, four-year plan here in Vegas, Derek Carr is not part of that vision. Um, I like Derek Carr. I think he is, a, you know, an average starting quarterback in the NFL with potential to be greater than that with the right pieces around him and the right coaching. Um, but so far, he hasn't shown that he's got that ability to lead them past where they have gone. And I don't know if that makes sense or not. Um, but to me, he has been painfully average, and Gruden has not totally committed to him to being the future. Um, Wayland, you've you seen anything from Derek Carr that you like that you would, you know, be committed to him long term? Not really, no. He's injured way too often. He breaks like glass. Just like you said, he can break him mentally, he breaks physically all the time, too. <laughs> he has that in common with his brother, right? I mean, David Carr was always heard a lot with the Texans back in the day. Uh, which that's, is not really his fault. Yeah, that's not, not really fair to David Carr. David Carr, yeah, David Carr is a different situation. <laughs> not, not totally David Carr's fault. He went to an expansion team with a terrible offensive line, so not 100% <laughs> the same situation. But, Matt, I'm sure you've watched a lot on, on Derek Carr here. Um, do you have any sort of optimism on Derek Carr's future, especially with the Raiders? I think there's a group of quarterbacks that you can kind of lump in and say in the perfect situation, they could be really good. And Derek Carr and Dak Prescott are pretty much a net same spectrum. You could take a look at the quarterback that has everything right for him and Dak. And then you could take a look at a quarterback like Derek Carr, who has pieces, but nothing really strong around him. So, you know, you put Derek Carr on the Cowboys, I expect similar numbers to Dak. You put Dak on the Raiders, I expect similar numbers to Carr. So 
it is one of those quarterback situations where I think you need more around him to be successful. And I don't think that Gruden is opposed to that, but I think Gruden wants a guy where he can just throw out there and have him win games for that team. And I don't think Derek Carr's that guy. Yeah, John Gruden, uh, not very silent on his criticisms of Derek Carr. And that, to me, is the writing on the wall where they are not going to commit to Derek Carr long term. And he already has a big contract for them. I believe there's a couple more years left on it. But I don't think that they're really all that excited about the prospect of Derek Carr. I don't know when they're going to pick the quarterback of the future or how they're going to acquire that person. But for right now, you know, they're going to probably ride out the rest of Derek Carr's contract and then move forward. But to me, just all of Gruden's comments on how Carr is, you know, kind of turnover prone, is kind of afraid to pull the trigger downfield, and um, maybe some leadership questions for Derek Carr. Like, <laughs> Gruden has not ever been quiet about his thoughts on anything, and he has certainly been outspoken about Derek Carr. Um, I will say that, you know, I like some of the weapons around Derek Carr and the Raiders. Like I said, I like Josh Jacobs. I like Jalen Richard as a backup running back, and he's – you know, the third down pass catching back. Uh, Tyrell Williams, need more from him. Maybe Henry Ruggs can help that. But the guy that I, I really like, that Derek Carr really likes especially, is Hunter Renfro, who is like Wes Welker reincarnated, maybe like Julian Edelman sort of. Um, he is your prototypical slot guy who will get seven yards a catch. Um, but you saw in those games down the stretch how much Carr relied on him uh, to make plays. And he's more athletic than I realized. He's faster than I realized. Um, but between Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, I kind of like some of these weapons for the Raiders here. And if Henry Ruggs turns out to be okay, then I don't see there's a whole lot of excuses for Derek Carr in 2020. Uh, when you look at their roster, Matt, where, where are the big holes on offense? Quarterback. That's what it comes is it just down the to. quarterback? No, I, yeah. think, I think wide receiver is not that great. I, I do like Hunter Renfro, but he's not one of those guys I'm throwing in the top five tight end group. Um, yeah. I, I, Darren I love, Waller might be. Darren yeah, Waller might be. It, it, you got to see more from him, but he's good. I do like what I see from Josh Jacobs a lot, but I mean, it, it boils down to the quarterback. You know, does does your quarterback make the players around him better? I really don't see a lot for that with Derek Carr. The offensive line, I don't think it's that bad. Could it be better? Yes, but you know, twenty other teams could say that too. So, but yeah, right. the, the quarterback position is not great for this team. I can't help but to think what it would have been like for Derek Carr if he could have had Antonio Brown last year. Uh, they were in hard knocks when Antonio Brown was still on the team and he had some foot issues and everything, but I can't help but to think that he would have elevated all, a lot of those guys around him. But unfortunately for the Raiders, that never came to fruition, um, and they finished 7-9 and nine last year as well as uh, the Denver Broncos. So, Waylon, I want to get your official team prediction for the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm, I don't know. They're going to be in last place, I think. Wow. So you're, you're thinking four wins here? Like five. Five wins? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I can totally see five that happening. Six. Uh, Maybe six. Okay. So them and the Chargers will both have six wins for you? Yeah. All right, Bushnell. What about you? Las Vegas Raiders. This is just the perfect storm of eight and eight. Like, everything's aligned to be eight and eight. I don't see – great potential to score a lot of points, but I also don't think they're going to give up a lot of points. So, I mean, it's just 
one of those teams. They'll tread water until they find what they're looking for, which is probably a new quarterback. But, yeah, this team's 8-8. Eight and eight. They have more talent than the Chargers do overall, I think. So mm-hmm. I'll say 8-8 eight and eight for this team. I agree with that. Um, I definitely think that they have a, a, quite a bit of talent. Um, I think their secondary has a ton of potential with uh, Jonathan Abram and Demarius Randall and Prince Mukamara and LaMarcus Joyner. I mean, there's there's guys there that can make plays. I don't hate that. Uh, Corey Littleton as a linebacker is okay. Um, I love their front. Cleveland Farrell, Malik Collins, Jonathan Hankins, Matt Crosby, Max Crosby, and Carl Nassib, who is um, underrated too. Um, this feels like eight and eight to me as well. I just don't trust the, you know, the quarterback situation. I don't trust the Raiders in general uh, to be consistent enough to put together anything better than eight and eight. So I think all of these teams, despite um, I think that how competitive they will be, none of it will matter when it comes down to this team, which is the juggernaut of all juggernauts, the Super Bowl 54 champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I wish my buddy Tanner could have hopped on the show for us today because <laughs> he would have loved talking to Chiefs football. Um, but this is not just the best team in the AFC West, not just the best team in the AFC. This is the best team in football. I don't even think it's a debate. Um, Waylon, you're you're nodding your head here. I assume you agree. Give me your quick synopsis on the Kansas City Chiefs. They're a monster, and you gotta. (laughs) They're gonna be a monster for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Mahomes in that contract, man! Holy shit. It's it's one of those things you look at the the contract and you're like yeah it's a huge contract but it's also worth it. Oh yeah, totally worth it. That? But don't I mean, forget right. Keenan Allen, best wide receiver in the AFC. <laughs> yeah, not really. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Right. I. <laughs> you're an Angels fan, so you you watch your team sign Mike Trout to what was it a ten year four hundred seventy million dollars contract? Four hundred and twenty five. Okay. So that's another instance I can think of when you sign a guy and it's probably worth it, right? I mean, it's, Oh, yeah, definitely uh, worth it. You know, it's kind of hard to say, like, it's not worth it. Yeah, I mean, the only thing Trout didn't, doesn't do is, you know, consistently help win. And, I mean, it's not really his fault. But Patrick Mahomes, at the end of the day, changed everything about the Chiefs. Um, they are approaching dynasty territory here if they can put together a couple championships. Um, but I just want to point out, we've, we mentioned this on the show previously, Bushnell, um, we've had a Patrick Mahomes contract extension, which is 10 years, half a billion dollars, the largest contract in the history of sports, uh, and somehow not overpaid, somehow kind of an underpay when you consider about, consider uh, everything Patrick Mahomes does for the Chiefs. And then you have a Chris Jones contract extension of four years, $85 million for the defensive anchor on this team. This team's coming back with all the players they had last year, and they drafted a running back in the first round who's going to act as a, you know, a little scat back for them. Uh, somehow I feel like this team's going to be better in 2020. Don't you agree, Bushnell? I have a hard time seeing where they're not going to be better at. I think defensively they've been together for a year now. And keep in mind, two years ago they went to the AFC Championship game, and we could have very well seen a Chiefs back-to-back Super Bowl run here. Mm. Um, with 2020, you just can't. I mean, Mahomes got hurt last year, and I don't think he was right for about nine or ten weeks. You can just kind of tell he wasn't very Mahomes-esque, even though he was still probably the best quarterback in the NFL, which is kind of scary to think about. Mm-hmm. Offensively, you just can't guard this team. There's not a spot where you can be like, okay, I can take this away. I mean, you can take things away, but you're still going to get torched. It's just when this team gets going and once they find that rhythm, 
there is no stopping the bleeding. I don't care what defense you are. We saw it with the 49ers, who probably had the best defense in the NFL last year when they played in the Super Bowl. Once the Chiefs get going, that's it. I mean, it's a different level. And the 49ers did the best they could. They held them to a few field goals, held them to a few touchdowns. But it's still the damn Chiefs. We saw it with the Texans. We saw it with the Titans. They just score points, and they beat on you until you submit. Defensively, they can stop you. I mean, I wouldn't put them in the top ten. I'm sorry, the top five defenses in the NFL. But they got enough playmakers to make to hold you to three points. And if you're trading three points for touchdowns, you're not beating this team. So that's what makes them so dangerous. I I can't see anyone beating this team. I just can't. And maybe the Ravens, but I don't think so. <laughs> it's hard to to not love just about everything there is to love about the Kansas City Chiefs from uh, the ownership to the GM to Andy Reid and the coaching staff. And they got to keep Eric Bieniemy somehow. Uh, I mean, it's insane how they still were able to keep all these guys together here. And you look at the weapons that Patrick Mahomes has around him. Um, you're talking Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, Nicole Hardman, uh, Travis Kelsey, who is, you know, his, by all means his go-to guy. Uh, I mean, the weapons are endless here. Um, they did have a guy opt out, which is one of their offensive linemen. Um, I believe it was – I can't find his name here. But anyway, they had one of their, their specialty offensive linemen opt out, which will hurt their depth, but I don't think it was necessarily a guy who they were completely relying on for everything. Um, so, you know, I, I think they can overcome that. It's not like Tyree Kale's opting out or anything like that. Um, but their defense still really damn good. They still got Chris Jones. They still got Frank Clark. Uh, they still got Brashad Breland, Tyron Matthew. I mean, they, they have talent all over the place here, and a lot of the guys are still back. And it's the same team basically from top to bottom. I have a hard time imagining that this team won't go back to back here, and I know that that's like a thing that people say when a team wins a championship, but I don't remember a team in the last, I'll say, five to ten years that won a Super Bowl that you felt like was on the brink of a dynasty. So, Waylon, I'll start with you. How, I mean, I, we all love the Chiefs, but, you know, is this team going to go back-to-back, and how many do you see this team winning in the next decade? I feel like they're going to go back-to-back. And like you said, like, you don't feel that, like, you haven't felt like a team's going to go after a dynasty. Then you also don't have a team that actually basically brought back their whole same team from last year, and then they mm-hmm. even added on a little bit. You know, like you said, they had some opt-outs. But I think they're going to win three to four for sure. Yeah. I can see I, it I just, yeah, I think that, like, you look at all the Patriots titles and you're like, there's always a part of you that thinks maybe Brady's done. Um, the team's always kind of old. You never really are that confident for the following year, despite them always being there at the end. The Broncos with Peyton Manning, like, you knew Peyton was done. You knew that, that that team probably had their best chance to win that year, and that was it. The Eagles felt like kind of a fluke to me, despite me liking their roster. I never felt like they were going to be back to win it all again. Um as far as all the teams that have won championships, I mean, the Seahawks kind of with Russell Wilson, I would say in 2012 felt like a team that had potential to, to build a dynasty. They obviously went back to the Super Bowl, but they didn't win. The Chiefs, I think, are in as good of a position as any to create this dynasty, Matt. And we kind of talked about this before, but, you know, I kind of feel like they're primed to, to win half a, half a dozen rings here <laughs> uh, under this Mahomes reign. I don't see 
why they wouldn't be a consistent favorite. Mahomes' contract is not really that prohibitive. I mean, the TV contracts, when the contract does get expensive, and I know people will point like, well, he's going to make 30 or $59 million in 2027. There, there's going to be a new TV deal by then. You know, the contracts are up. DirecTV is losing Sunday ticket next year. So there's going to be a high influx of cash, and the cap goes up every year. So really, this is a really team-friendly deal for the long haul. So you're going to be able to add pieces. You're going to be able to maintain pieces. I think Tyreek Hill is important. I think Travis Kelsey is important. This team drafts really well. Uh, criticize them drafting for a running back in the first round, Randy. But like you said, <laughs> you know, you, you're okay with it because it's the Chiefs. So they just keep on adding and becoming a better football team. When it's all said and done, I honestly do think Mahomes will probably end up with five or six. And, you know, the Chiefs are going to be one of those teams that you look back on, you're like, man, I, I lived during the Pat Mahomes era, you know, much like we could kind of say we lived through the Tom Brady era, but, you know, video cameras and recording devices kind of tarnished that for everyone. Yeah, they did. All the cheating kind of tarnishes that legacy. <laughs> no doubt. And uh, at least when you draft a running back in the first round as defending Super Bowl champions, you're not drafting a running back to patchwork the rest of your flawed roster. So. Like I said, when you win the Super Bowl, you can kind of get away with whatever you want. And at that point, it is a luxury to the already established uh, roster that you have. So I care less about it at that point. Uh, I just want to go over some games I think they could potentially lose here before we get into team predictions. Week three, they go to Baltimore. Um, week six, they go to Buffalo, which I know you're going to probably roll your eyes, but in Buffalo is a trap game for any team. Especially, you know, I never really know. The fans might not be there, so that might not have as big of an impact. And it's not December, so also might not have as big of an impact. Um, then they go to Tampa in week 11 or week 12, which obviously we think the world of the Bucks. Um, but other than that, they go to New Orleans. I think that they could outshoot the Saints in a, in a shootout. I'm not really too worried about that. Um, the Chiefs in a dome, I think, are more scary <laughs> than the Chiefs. Uh, uh, in their home turf. So to me, there's maybe three losses on this schedule and that's if those teams can beat them. So, you know, that leads me to team official predictions here. I'm going to go first. Uh, I'm going to go 14 and two for them. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me if it's even greater than that. Whalen, what about you? 15 and one. 15 and one. Are they going to lose to your Broncos as the one? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Bushville, what about you? You know what? I don't know, and I'm not going to play this one safe. I, I've been saying Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've seen since Peyton Manning. Oh, he might be better than Peyton Manning. I think this team is better than the 2007 Patriots. 16-0. and 0. Wow. I knew it. I knew he was going to say it. <laughs> I mean, you have to. Everything about this team. There. I almost went there. The same coach who is fantastic off of buys. Andy Reid is so good at things when faced with adversity that, you know what, finally he got over that hump of that Super Bowl. This team is not going to feel that immense pressure, and there's nothing worse than playing a Hall of Fame quarterback who is loose. Peyton Manning always felt uptight, you know. It never felt like he played loose. Um, no. Tom Brady had Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick always kind of seemed to have that stick up his rear. So a loose team is a dangerous team. 
I, I think this team is going to run roughshod over everyone they play. They're going to embarrass a lot of people. This, I think the 2009 or the 2020 playoff chiefs is what you will see next season. You're going to see 40 plus points a game for at least 12 of those games. And it's, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. The Pat Mahomes show, baby. I'm the, I'm driving the damn bus. So are they going to go down 24 nothing in the first game to the Texans and then score seven straight touchdowns and you know, go on a tear from there? Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to stop scoring once they start scoring. <laughs> Look, I respect you uh, putting it out there because I think all of us in the back of our minds are thinking that, uh, that this team has the potential to do that. I think their schedule is really tough, and I think that could prevent that sort of thing from happening. When you play uh, at Baltimore, at Tampa, at New Orleans, uh, it's hard to win all of those games. And as good as Matt Pat Mahomes is and as great as the Chiefs are, you know, no, there's a reason that one team ever has won all of their games. <laughs> and then there's, only a re- there's a reason why one other team has won all of their games leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. If they had a little bit easier of a schedule, I'd be on board with that 100%. Um, I could just see them losing to Baltimore, Tampa, or New Orleans. So, uh, regardless, this team's going to win the division. This team's going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I don't think either any of us uh, have a disagreement there. Uh, and the Chiefs are going to start a dynasty. My friend Tanner Wolf, if you are listening to this show, I'm disappointed you're not on here, but I just want you to know, and this is something that he loves hearing, by the way, that the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, have the best player in football. I just want to point that out. I just want to say that in there. And they are the best team in football. Every time I see Tanner, he goes, hey, can you say that again? And I have to say, Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. Because for a long time, Chiefs fans have suffered and have gone through embarrassing moments as a fan base. I could not be happier for Tanner and all of the other Kansas City fans that I know in my life. Um, And they're likable. So they're a dynasty here. You know what? At least they're likable because the Patriots, as we pointed out, are flawed. Not the most likable dynasty of all time. I think that most people in general have a have a feeling that they like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Like, there's nothing to dislike about them, I don't think. Um, okay, this is a, another divisional preview in the books. That leaves one left, and that is the NFC West, and next week's going to be a big one. And it's going to be – we have two special guests, which I'm not going to announce quite yet, and my status for the show is still up in the air. Um, but I'm going to try my best to make the show. Um, but Matt Whalen, thank you so much for coming on here at the Audible. The first time we've had you on the show. What did you think of your experience? I loved it, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It was a fun show. Yes, and make sure to catch Matt on The Lab over in Food Life. When's your next show? Tomorrow. Tomorrow at, what, 7 o'clock? All right. And then following uh, The Lab with Matt and Johnny Ortega, um, we're going to have to step back over in ball is life with our guys, Leon Tompkins and Jacob Moses. They're having WNBA week over in ball is life, which is a super important week. The WNBA is back. The NBA is about to be back. So head over to that group and check those guys out. Those guys always do a killer job. Uh, and we'll be back next week, next Tuesday at seven o'clock Eastern. Like I said, my status for the show is still to be determined. I am a game time decision. I'm hoping to make the show. If not, we'll still have a great show planned for you. Matt Bushnell, You'll be here holding things down for me if I can't make it, right? Absolutely. It'll be a fun-filled show. And, Randy, it may not be the marriage that lasts forever, but you can always get married again. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) My future father-in-law. 
my my future father-in-law is probably listening to this and laughing because he always calls me his future ex-son-in-law so uh (laughs) uh, love you greg if you're listening um but uh yeah we'll figure out if i can make it i'm going to try my best to to make it um but that wraps it up for this edition of the audible here on football life if you're catching us live on facebook thank you guys for interacting with us if you're watching us on youtube thank you so much if you're subscribed on spotify Anchor, Apple Podcasts, however you consume this show. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. We greatly appreciate it. Um, For the two Mats, Waylon and Bushnell, I'm Randy Hammond. Hoping you guys have a great week.